Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 300, Crafting Game Mechanics to Support Player Agency. Presented by Jacob Segal, Justin Ford, and Ian Hart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to my first Metatopia panel ever. I think that might be true of my fellow guests here. Crafting Game Mechanics to Support Player Agency. Um, we are all members of Hack the Hacked in the Dark podcast team here. Uh, I'm Justin Ford of Mothlands. Jacob, where might people know I'm you from? Jacob Siegel. <laughs> I'm Jacob Siegel of uh, Asphalt and Trouble, uh, mostly known from the Hacked in the Dark podcast and shows, though. Ian? And Ian. Yeah, I'm Ian Hart, and uh, you probably also would know me in the dark. Uh, Paul's the maker of Death Wish, and we recently put out a Hacked in the Dark actual play that was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, and we were going to be joined by a fourth panelist today, Ray Chu of Mythopo Mythopia. Um, he couldn't make it today, unfortunately, last minute, but uh, I think that you will still enjoy what we have to offer. So today we are talking about player agency. Uh, Jacob, would you like to give us a rundown of what you feel player agency is before we get started so we're, we can all be on the same page here? Sure. So player agency as uh, distinct from player uh, safety um, is mechanics within a game that allow a player to influence the narrative in ways that they uh, want, for one thing, and that they're comfortable with, without having things forced on them. Uh, it goes hand-in-hand hand with safety tools, but the mechanics themselves can enforce player agency in separate ways. Anything I miss? <laughs> I think that's right. I think um, one thing we wanted to talk about today in, in previous discussions, I know, is... There's there's a connection here between safety and agency and and consensual play, uh, in in that all of these things are kind of interrelated but in different degrees and in different ways. Yeah. So the three of us are probably most familiar with Blades in the Dark and Forge in the Dark games, but we um, have other examples as well and. There are lots of ways that other games have addressed this issue and have not addressed this issue that we'll go over today as well. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. This might be kind of a wide-ranging discussion because this is almost a, a philosophical question about like how, how do you best insert player agency into these games? But I think one reason we, we wanted to tackle this question is we I think we all believe that Blades in the Dark is a high agency game, and that's part of why I think some some of us like it. Um, that's not to say that games with lower levels of player agency are not also enjoyable. Um, like I said, player agency, how much or how little you have of it does not 
equate to safety or consent directly, but those are things that you might consider as a play style as far as like, what do you prefer? Do you prefer a more narratively directed game or do you prefer one where you have more power to affect the world? Right. And even in games that are more narratively, um, narratively directed, as you said, uh, you can still have ways for your character to, uh, for you to influence what your character does that um, do not invade your own uh, personal like goals and issues or anything like that. Ian, so, uh, how, yeah how how has wor- yeah. how has working on Death Wish like affected your your thoughts on player agency and design? Mm, I think probably. Uh... The, the biggest one has been in, in revising my uh, character growth loop. You know, the, uh, the idea of, like, how you develop your character and level them up. Um, it, it originally started as, like, a, a roguelike design. And so it was very, very randomized. Uh, and then the more I developed it, the more I gave power to the player in the form of saying, you know, actually, you can choose. And actually, even if you did choose, well, here's a process to change your choice. Uh, and so I ended up going in a very high agency direction because that just um, was the most fun for everybody. That's what I found as well. Um, games with lower agency, you can tell that while they might still be fun and enjoyable and people like them, there will be points where you feel like your agency is being trod upon and the game doesn't support that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that is some a, a common feeling that a lot of gamers have felt at times is even if you're happy generally with the rules of a game or the way in which your GM or, or dungeon master rules on a given issue, there will be times when you're, you're left with a feeling in your stomach of like, man, I wish, I wish I could have done something differently there, whether in the fiction or as a player to, to affect the plot. Um, that's probably a good transition for uh, some examples of uh, lacking uh, agency. Um, The one that I always think of is death in games. Um, Often death can feel kind of capricious. You just face something that is too powerful and you die and you don't know beforehand that that's the risk. And even if the game says you might die, you don't know that in this instance you are going to die. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think that, that uh, Portion of the Dark has a good solution to that as far as desperate position. Uh, although for Death Wish, I actually went even further and made a position above desperate that says you will definitely die. Just because, you know, there is even still ambiguity if the GM's going to give you broken harm or if they mean, no, jumping off that building means you're definitely toast. One, one could say that being able to choose your character's exit from the game is a hallmark of high agency games for sure. You know, most improvisational games kind of just allow you to do it on a whim, um, which, <laughs> you know, to, to, to choose to do things that are uh, interesting in the moment, generally speaking. Um, there, there are lots of exceptions, of course. Uh, And certainly there are uh, low agency games that otherwise have caveats for player death or what have you, um, or make it very clear when a player will die, which in itself can be a form of providing the players with agency on how they, in terms of how they 
engage with the mechanics. But yeah, um, low agency games uh, tend to emphasize storytelling in a different way. It tends to be like uh, there's the classic example of the dungeon master who's kind of telling you their their story that they've already written in their head. That maybe is one of the less enjoyable examples, but there are also examples of that from uh, some really cool games like Dread, where you know it it's a very bombastic improvisational game, but there's one direction you're going in, and the GM's trying to get you there. Yeah, right. tro- Trophy Dark is uh, another example, which kind of surprising since it's also forged in the dark, but it goes in a very different direction as far as agency, where you're you're on this inevitable tread towards doom. To some extent, having knowing going into a game that that's what your eventual goal is, <laughs> that you're eventually going to die in both those examples, does is a type of agency. Um, games where, for example, you're going in expecting to be a hero and tell a hero story, and then suddenly you die, uh, are low agency in a more negative way. It's yeah. This is kind of where uh, consent, I think, intersects with player agency in the sense that um, many of these games, especially horror games, uh, exhibit a kind of passive consent. You consent to have things happen to you, right? Which maybe means that it's high consent still, but low agency in terms of what actually happens in a given scene or whatever what the GM throws at you, um, versus a high like an active consent game where there's a constant conversation about what is allowed, what should happen next, that kind of a thing. I do think that um, Blades, again, as an example, is a high agency game, high consent, you know, active consent game in that regard because of the conversation that is encouraged to happen in every decision. Yeah. So the, um, the, like I was mentioning, the best, the, one of the first ways that you can engage agency is the session zero and know what you're getting into. Um, and Blades tells you you're going to get into trouble, for example. Dread tells you you're going to experience a horror story and probably die or have horrible things happen to you. Um, and part of that is also going over things like lines and veils and safety tools. That is one way for a GM to establish uh, agency and consent. Um, and then games that incorporate mechanics like that can uh, mechanize agency and not just leave it up to the GM, which I think is the important part. This is maybe where safety tools actually can act as a kind of uh, agency uh, or as an active agency that the players have in, in the terms of um, I'm taking, thinking, for example, in Microscope, there before each game, there is a phase where you write down what you would like to be included and what you don't want to be included in your game uh, that you're about to play together. And the game that follows is very high improvisation, lots of player agency. Um, but these, this mechanic in particular kind of sets like, please don't approach this topic, or yes, I love this topic and include it as often as possible. Um, that kind of acts that in turn gives rise to lines and veils, which are a known and, and now more popular safety tool that maybe people have heard of. Um, 
pretty much identical in terms of how you use it. Uh, but it is a way for people to include like, hey, I want to see this content. I don't want to see this content uh, and have that conversation before a game. In my game, Asphalt and Trouble, the villains are corporations, which uh, in this day and age can feel close to home, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you work for one or that kind of thing. Um, so one of the first things laid out in a session zero is which corporations are actually involved. If you work for like an automotive company or something like that, and you just really don't want to deal with your work problems in your game, then you pick something completely different, that kind of thing. Ian, why is agency desirable at all? Uh, <laughs> I think that the uh, that's a broad question, um, uh-huh. but I think that the the biggest advantage of agency is it gives the the players freedom to influence the story and take it in the direction they want to go. Um, and I think the the sort of goal with with agency, particularly in role playing games is to balance it uh, between all of the players and with the GM, who is a, a player in a certain sense as well, um, so that it becomes a collaborative role-playing game. Just as much as the GM having too much control being a problem, it can also be a problem if one player has unmatched agency. If they're uh, you know, a, a level 20 character and everybody else is level 1, and they just go around tossing everybody else's plots to the side... That's a problem just as much as if the GM decides to railroad railroad everyone down one way. And so there's a lot of tools that the game can provide to balance agency between players. For example, uh, stress in Forged in the Dark is a really good tool for that uh, because it's a depleting resource. And so if one player tries to do everything all by themselves, pretty soon they're going to be maxed out on stress. And that's when they'll have to turn to the other players and say, well, what can you do? Jacob, uh, you know, we don't need agency in film watching other than to choose to watch it. We don't mm-hmm. need agency in reading a book. Well, why, why is agency uh, specific to games in some regards? Well, it has to do with the interactivity, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly many players get very into their characters and having something happen to their characters that they were not expecting, they didn't consent to they didn't have agency in can pull them out be um dissuade them from it being interested in the game at all i know you know i've been in plenty of games where someone like the example i keep going to has died suddenly or suddenly they're mind controlled and um depending on the group that can be uh frustrating at the least triggering or something else at, at worse and I've lost the question, but (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was, uh, yeah, I was kind of asking a broad question about, um, (laughs) what does agency have, you know, how do games employ agency in a way that's like fun and interesting and provides a better experience than if they didn't have it at all, like movies or, or books or, you know, all these other kinds of media that we enjoy. You also, because you're, with friends, presumably, or a group of people, it's harder to put yeah. down a game. You can just put down a book, or you can hit pause on a movie. And you can walk away from a table, but that's just harder when there are other people around. So it's just right. something to be aware of. Yeah, I think it's really, to me, the the authorship element is key. Like, you are the author 
in some way of a role-playing game, even if someone is just telling you their their story, their novel. Um, and agency is is how we interact and, and provide like structure when we have multiple authors telling the same story. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Structure is definitely important for it. Um, for the example Ian gave as well, you just don't want... You, if things go off the rails, you want it to be in a controlled fashion to some extent. You want <laughs> you don't want like you, you know one person pulling things uh, away from everyone else. Maybe I might play devil's advocate here appropriately for uh, horror games. Sure, you know, one of the this is a genre that I personally love. I've written a horror game or two myself, um, and one thing I like to play with intentionally and consciously is this balance between player agency in terms of like um, modeling consent, which I am pro (laughs) for like Mm -hmm. pretty much across the board um, with uh, allowing for moments of, of panic and fear, which I think do come from like realizing your lack of agency in a situation, at least fictionally. Um, And so one thing I try to do is kind of balance, have a, have a balance of, uh, allowing people to to have, make the story that they want, while also sometimes taking away their ability to affect the story uh, to highlight like the horror of whatever situation they might be in. Yeah, and uh, Fortune of the Dark kind of does a, a similar thing in the the tone adjustment, where in a in a heroic tone in a heroic moment. Uh, you've got complete resist power. Basically, anything the GM throws at you, you can resist it, and the consequence is gone. Your character just did not suffer whatever fate uh, you don't want them to. But uh, in a grimmer, grittier tone where you want them to feel out of control, that's when you bring in the partial resists, and they can they can somewhat stop something. They can say, okay, I don't want to be killed, but... They roll the resist, and it only reduces it down to, uh, you know, broken harm, or it only takes them down to uh, a level two harm, and they're they're still suffering some of the consequences. So I, I think that that definitely does a good job of selling the tone through the mechanics. Right, and it's important that that's a mechanical decision too. Um, there are a lot of games where. They might inf- they might uh, elevate player agency by hand waving things on occasion by just saying, "Well, you can do whatever you want." Um, high improvisational games tend to do that to some degree. They're they're a framework in which you can kind of do anything. Um, and there are, there's lots of you know tiers between that and a highly mechanical game like say Burning Wheel, um, and yet. Burning Wheel, I think, is another example of a game that has higher player agency because you still have you have a lot of control over those mechanics, and there is a lot of uh, once you get once you master them, you understand what the result of an action is likely to be whenever you choose to engage it. Uh, should we transition into some of the th- the details we've mentioned more specifically uh, using Blades as a model for? Um, player agency, uh, and <laughs> sure. I do also have another burning wheel example uh, uh-huh. we can get back to. But um, we've mentioned resistance and position and effect and that kind of thing so far. Uh, just you don't want to so define that, those further, actually. Yeah, before, exactly. As we continue, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, Ian, how would you define uh, either of those position and effect? Let's say. Well, can I actually can I actually interrupt? Because I think there's sure. something that we need to cover before either of those. Okay, sure. Just I I think it's really important actually, which is um, I think we need to talk about the conversation, which is a term that is used in blades, uh, kind of in quotes, but not actually to refer to um, something I, I was talking about earlier, which is the the table atmosphere and the acknowledgement of um, being on the same page as everyone else, because that's really important to the mechanics of Blades as well, which is maybe why we want to talk about this stuff, is um, it's, it's in explicitly important in Blades for everyone to be on the same narrative page. And a lot of the mechanics in the game come directly from that, including position and effect, resistance, etc. So anyone have anything to add on that before we go into defining these other features? Sure, yeah. So there are other ways to have everyone on the same page that, um, uh, you know, depending on how you approach it, are better or worse. Um, if you're using a very tactical game, then literally everyone mm -hmm. is, can be on the same sheet of paper. Uh, here's where you are, here's right. what you're doing, what you can do. To some extent, that doesn't, uh, that makes it clearer you're not going to be surprised by something that's not visible on the page. But, um, that also tends to limit actions, in my experience at least. I'm sure there are games that do that well um, in terms of agency. Uh, but it, if you are clear on where everyone is in the game and on what everyone is talking about out of the game, those are both key to uh, agency. All right, Ian, I, I'm sorry I rudely interrupted you. Please, please continue. Would you define uh, position effect and how the conversation kind of uh, influences that? Yeah, was, that's some vital context, which is mm -hmm. that position and effect is a tool within the conversation uh, for when your character is actually taking an action and you want to, to accomplish something risky in the fiction. Uh, position uh, is the tool for the GM to say, this is what I see as the consequences of your your action if it goes poorly. And then effect is the GM tool to say, and this is what I think you'll gain if you succeed in what you're trying to do. And then position and effect is very much a negotiation. Uh, even if the GM says this is firmly a, uh, a greater effect, uh, risky position, uh, the player still has tools to say, okay, I'm going to push for an even higher effect, because I think my character would really give it their all here and do better. Uh, or they can trade position for effect and say something like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to be a little more cautious here, and so I'd, I'd like to move down to a controlled position um, in exchange for, for having a reduced effect, that sort of trade-off. Um, and all of that is, is a way of coming to an agreement, a, a consensus between the GM and the player uh, of exactly what the role will mean before you throw the dice. Right, and in, this is, I presume, true in most games that I can think of. The role itself is a statement of risk. You know, you know based on how many dice you're rolling or what your target number is, what uh, your chances of success are. So having that model for position and effect also tells you, uh, in addition to your chances of success, what does success look like? What does failure look like? 
Um, I think mechanics like that are especially important in a game that is more complex in some ways. Like uh, there are games that are maybe more complex than Blades. That's a matter for debate. But uh, in some ways, you know, like in board games, many times you don't need to have that conversation because you're already on the same page about what does it mean when I move my rook to take your pawn? Uh, you know exactly what's going to happen. It's just a matter of being able to see, you know, 10 moves down the line, um, which is maybe less necessary in an RPG. And I, I may even say you shouldn't look, be looking <laughs> 10 moves down the line in an RPG. Um, that, that's when we get, start to take away player agency, if you're the GM. Uh, so the position and effect conversation is something I really love because it lets you kind of customize what is, your, what is my risk as a player. And you, you also, it puts you in conversation with the GM about what does it mean to be even doing this action. And there are downsides to it as well. Um, it's been talked about. We all met on the official Blades in the Dark Discord, where we also coordinate the Hacked in the Dark podcast. And a number of people there who are making Fortune Dark games are interested in the concept, but say that it slows down the game, for example. Um, right. And there are, there, are, there are trade-offs always when you're designing any mechanic. So... Um, if you need a fast pace, some people feel that they need to get rid of this conversation or have it in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. Just making sure that everyone is on the same page one way or another. And that, to some extent, that's up to you know the designer. But um, in my opinion, my game, Asphalt and Trouble, is also very fast paced. So I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I kept it in anyway because it was important enough to keep the high stakes and the high risk that I wanted without forcing people to feel um, like they didn't have choice. Yeah, I, I think stakes are a, a big part of it. For a, a lower stakes game where the worst, you know, your, your character isn't realistically likely to lose anything important and most likely you're going to succeed, well, then you could just roll and if the GM undersells you on effect or does a, a little bit of a bad position, you can just fix it with another roll. Uh, but for a more high stakes game where your character could really die and you could really fail the mission, well, then you're going to have more of the ongoing, okay, uh, I don't like that position and effect at all, so I'm going to try a whole different action. And you can even have multiple back and forths of, okay, will this have a good effect and position? And really uh, carefully thinking through the the implications of every action. It's important to note that, too, in, in Blade specifically, position and effect is like a core mechanic. It's almost the bulk of the rules of the game are in that one mechanic uh, as far as like how much time it takes to, to uh, walk through the procedures and how much mental space it takes to consider what's happening right now in the game. Um, it's kind of where, where all the decision points happen is with that one mechanic. So if you reduce, if you're considering about what your main, your core mechanic of your game is going to be, um, how that interacts with the conversation and who, who, who it gives power to is really going to shape like the look and feel of your game. Um, like it's going to shape like how people perceive your game in a lot of ways. Uh, compare that to the D20 mechanic of so many games. Anyone want to talk, think, talk more about that? I probably haven't played as much D&D as like I think Ian has, for example. Uh, yeah, I, I used to play it uh, a lot back in the day, um, yeah. and I think 
that uh, Portrait of the Dark kind of blew it out of the water for me. I haven't really gone back since. Uh, just because the the D twenty mechanic, the the core idea of it is you either succeed or fail on any given task, and for me, it's just so much more interesting in Forge in the Dark to have the the mixed success come up so often, where you succeed but with a cost or with a drawback, um, and that combined with fiction first has just left me really cold towards D and D and other classic games. Jacob, yeah, are there um, any other games that have like an interesting core mechanic, and where do they fall on this line? Um, I would ag- agree that the D20 kind of makes it, without having any kind of conversation about what the role means, uh, makes each role less impactful to some extent. Uh, take just mm-hmm. D&D attacks. You roll to see if you hit, and even if you do hit, then you have to roll again to see how many, how much damage you do. And then that damage is some percent of the enemy's health. And that d20 roll itself was not as impactful in some cases. And then in other cases, you're rolling to sneak past the giant dragon. And that d20 roll is the most important roll because you might immediately die or get ambushed or whatever. Um, so by having a conversation be explicit, um, it, it does, in my mind, make each roll more important as well. Other games? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just going to comment, like, the way randomness interacts with this question is really interesting and maybe worth uh, exploring later. But for now, I, sure. yeah, any other mechanics that come to mind? Um, the example I said I was going to give, um, uh, and it's not a core mechanic, but it is fairly important in uh, Burning Wheel, the instincts allow you mm-hmm. to say what your character does and doesn't do, you know, without the GM interfering. You say, this is what I want my character to always do. Uh, for people who are not familiar Burning Wheels, you say something like, my character always has a knife. Then you know, if you don't want to be caught off guard, you always have a knife somewhere, that kind of thing. My character always knocks before entering. <laughs> then you know you're never going to accidentally barge in on anyone, that kind of thing. Um, and that's a, that's a small insertion. It's not as... Some would probably argue it's not as core to Burning Wheel, um, but it's still a, a way to insert uh, agency directly. Right. And in PBTA, we have the 2D6 system that, you know, the rolling is very random. It's equally as random as in D&D, for example. But the important bit is that that core mechanic, there's always a preceding fiction that it's based on. So you always know what it is you're getting into whenever you say, I am going to walk up to the goblin and call him a bad name. Um, you know that that's probably going to activate a particular move uh, on your character sheet um, that will then proceed, re, uh, result in randomness, potentially. But you have a general idea of what it is you're doing before you do it. Um, and the fiction that will result from that. Uh, because it can only be one of three possibilities, you, generally speaking. Um, and then in a game like Fate, you have actually kind of a similar situation to Blades in the Dark in that you know, it's fiction first, and there is a, a certain level of randomness with multiple possible results. But it's less about um, how much something will hurt you and how much effect you will have, and more about how many hits are you going to get? How, how, how much progress do you make in this one role? Um, and you might make negative progress or you might make 
positive progress uh, to, to varying degrees. Uh, oh, just lost Justin. Um, <laughs> to pick up where Justin left off while he's coming back. Okay. Um, so to, to pick up with that, uh, fate has a, it doesn't have the conversation as explicitly as Blades does, but it does still have uh, mm -hmm. a conversation. Did you have more to add before you were cut off? No, I, that actually was a great summation. Okay. <laughs> that one sentence. Okay. <laughs> uh, and one of the other core uh, mechanics of Blades um, that we can get back to Asphalt and Trouble, uh, or to, well, uh, we can get back to Position and yeah. Effect uh, if we need. Um, but one of the other core mechanics of Blades that helps convey agency is resistance, which we've mentioned before. Um, so who wants to yeah, talk about what resistance is? Do you, Ian, Ian, you're a Blades expert today. Yeah, yeah give us are. the explanation. So um, <laughs> for resistance, uh, whenever uh, your character suffers a consequence, and that can be a, a consequence from their actions, or it can be uh, if you've got a, a really troublesome NPC or something, they can inflict a consequence on you before you even act. Uh, whenever you take that consequence, uh, you can choose to resist, which is where you tell the GM, I don't want that to happen to my character. Um, and you'll roll dice based on your competency to take some sort of stress cost, uh, which is always random. Um, but after you, you take that stress cost, you definitely resist the, the consequence, which either uh, reduces it if the tone is, is grim and serious, um, or it allows you to avoid it completely if the tone is more heroic. Right, and one thing I like about it is that it allows the GM to set the tone and the, the table to set the tone. You can say how much you're resisting. Um, and it's a limited resource because it pulls on your stress. So, but um, So you can't always do it, and it doesn't always... Uh, it always resists, but doesn't always resist all the way. So it's a good way to still keep the risk in the chance in and the mm -hmm. limited uh i guess limited agency because you can only do it so much but it does still add explicit agency to your character mm -hmm. one reason i love resistance is it kind of gives you an in fiction x card to some degree um to say no that doesn't happen and it's not because it's you know offensive to your sensibilities or whatever or, or it would hinder your ability to play it's because your character doesn't want that to happen. They want something else to happen. And you're saying no, thank you, to, <laughs> to the fiction as presented. Uh, the second thing I love about it is it leaves the GM with a lot of their agency, too, because they can still say that interesting thing happens. They can say that really brutal thing happens to you, that you, you get, uh, you're told no to a date <laughs> or something, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. or that people you 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 have to go home now um you're you've stayed here too long um you can say the player can say no to that but you get to still describe as the gm the fiction that would happen if if they accept that uh that consequence so you kind of get to have your cake and eat it too in my opinion. and that seems <laughs> uh having watched the death wish actual play that also seems very key to the tone there mm -hmm. yeah yeah 
it it's almost always uh, partial resists in Death Wish, um, which is very important. And then, but and, you get to dis- uh, you get to describe all this metal stuff happening all the time, <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, even yeah, even if the players yeah, completely yeah. get away from it, right? Right. Yep. Yep. In, in mm-hmm. every session, you know, I've got a couple of opportunities to describe how some character dies gruesomely. And then the char- the player gets to say, ah, actually, they're skilled enough that they get out of this anyway. And I think that, uh, in a way, is the real tone, is that um, it's not, oh, everybody dies horribly. It's, oh, everybody's about to die horribly, but they're, they're competent enough and they're uh, cool enough that they get out of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. In um, Cthulhu Deep Green my hack of Cthulhu Dark to play conspiracy horror scenarios. Uh, it's a complete ripoff of Delta Green, fictionally, so I'm just going to state that out loud. Um, it's, it's not, though, because mechanically it's extremely different, and one reason it's different is I, I really try to amp up player agency a lot um, in terms of the, the moment-to-moment events, and uh, while still leaving like some of the horror elements in that kind of takeaway agency. And one of the things I do is I try to reproduce the effect of resistance and blades with the combat system. It's a, contra- it's a controversial choice based on feedback I've gotten from some, some readers of the game. Um, but I know people who also really love it, which is that whenever you're facing a monster, unlike in Thude Dark, where you would just, you can't, you can't face monsters head on. You have to run from them, essentially. In uh, Cthulhu Decreen, you're agents of a conspiracy, and theoretically, sometimes violence is the answer. Um, so if you engage in combat in Cthulhu Decreen, the GM gets to show you the consequences of your action before you accept them. Uh, so they get to show you being eaten by Cthulhu or whatever, if that's, what you're, if that's the silly thing that you wanted to do. And you can say yes, I'm down for that, or mm-hmm. no, I would rather do this other thing. Um, which is uh, another, another element, I think, that shows up of Blades in the Dark that shows up in many aspects of the game. You have that with resistance. You have that with the position and effect conversation. You can always say, mm, you know what? I'm not down for these terms. As the GM or the player, you can kind of be like, I'm not down for where this is going. Let's do something else. Let's rewind. Um, yeah. yeah, I feel like there are not too many games that I know of that have similar um, mechanics where you can, s- apart from applying the fast forward to rewind safety mechanics, for example, that have mm-hmm. that built in. Um, the one that does jump to me is the compels in Fate, where someone can compel you to do something based on your character, and you choose whether or not you actually do that, and then you exchange fate points depending whether you did it or not, that kind of thing. Anyone the has? compel, yeah, the compel is a great example of just like a ag- agency generator. Like, they've mechanized player agency with that mechanic to some degree. Like, pure, purely. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it feels counterintuitive because it feels like you're forcing someone to do something, which is the opposite. Um, but <laughs> right, because you're right. given the chance not to. Um, Mm-hmm. It says here is an opportunity for you to choose. Well, it has a corollary in the bennies, right? In the mm-hmm. um, in the tokens you get to that basically let a player do anything, just sure, without right. even without even rolling. 
Um, right. So systems and fate, fate is a high agency game that is nonetheless very mechanical, right? Um, mm-hmm. Really what you have there is they've decided to have a game where um, they provided you a framework for improv that's a very a very sturdy framework, but is largely like you can do whatever you want. And interestingly, beyond that, uh, the mechanic that you mentioned, the compels, um, unlike in Blades, you can't really go back on what mm-hmm. you were establishing via the mechanics. It's more that they uh, encourage a particular conversation at the table, like we were talking about before. So yeah. um, whether or not you mechanize the conversation is kind of important to your design, I think. Uh, Blades obviously chooses to do that, and other games just provide more of like guidance, um, and they're both really valid, but what do you think, what do you think uh, it adds to a game to mechanize those things, to say explicitly as the designer, this is a rule in my game? Uh, well, for Deathwish, uh, at least, I know it's added a lot to my ability, or I, I have gone uh, probably beyond Blades in how much I mechanize it. And I think a big part of that is is selling the tone. Um, I, I know as a GM, I have a lot of trouble going really hard on my players. Um, and so a lot of the mechanics are there to sort of force the GM's hand and force them to uh, be hard and harsh uh, with the players. Um, if they if they don't um, engage with the setting, um, and that's sort of the other side of it is uh, the other tool that it really helps with is selling a concrete setting. Um, for a you know a more generic game, uh, a dragon might be that might be really dangerous, or it might be only moderately dangerous, or it might be not dangerous at all. Um, but if you have really strong mechanics, you can say, well, a dragon is exactly this dangerous. Uh, and that helps sell a consistent world, I think, is, is why I thought it was really important. Yeah. Uh, and I know Blades does that uh, with, uh, uh, for example, uh, it's right there in the rulebook, the ghosts have a mechanic where they immediately make you run away in fear unless you resist every time you meet one. And that, so that really just sells the immediate terror that characters feel from ghosts in that setting. Right. And there, you know, you can assign a level to a dragon or something and say all dragons are this level, but um, that doesn't mechanize the conversation. It doesn't tell the players that that's true. Unless you say all dragons are this level and all players know that. Mm. And that's really one of the differences between just a saying that, you know, this is how the world is and this is how the the players, whether or not the characters do, the players can interact with that specifically. To me, there's um, a matter... I like to be explicit with my roles. Um, probably no surprise since, again, we're the Hack in the Dark podcast, so we probably <laughs> like the way that Blaze is designed. Um, but I really like uh, having this kind of... these agency mechanics um, as mechanics and not just guidance because it's there's a power as a designer in giving your players permission to do something. Um, There's a power in saying you can always say no. Uh, And that could be explicitly, you know, fitting consent mechanics into your game Uh, for the queen does this really well by, you know, it's a very rules light game, but the one mechanic it really does have is 
the X card is included both as a safety mechanic and fictionally as a mechanic in the game. Um, another example for me that I really love is Mobile Frame Zero Firebrands and all its offshoots. Are you are you too familiar with this game at no, all? No, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't read it. So I would recommend everyone read Mobile Frame Zero Firebrands, which is an offshoot of the uh, tactical Lego game. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mobile Frame Zero. Um, Firebrands is actually by uh, Vincent Baker of PBTA and Dogs in the mm-hmm. Vineyard and a bunch of really well-respected games. And he has done a sequel to that game that's more Game of the Thrones-esque as well. But there's a number of offshoots for this game. And it's popular in indie circles because um, it's a series of mini-games that facilitate improvisational play but it's a prompt-based game. So whenever you pick a mini-game, be it like a dance or a duel, um, the mechanics are, are large. You largely choose prompts that inspire the fiction to follow, and they're themed after, in this particular instance, it's themed after Gundam, um, the kind of fiction you would play in Gundam, which is like a mixture of diplomacy and war and like romance. Um, and uh, it the mechanics of the game are in the prompts. Like every prompt specifically says, you know, it, it implies that you should ask a question. It uh, And whenever you get into a more intimate game, like a duel or stealing time together, which is a romance game, they're kind of designed the exact same because what's important there in those two games is consent. And so a duel might have prompts like, um, I chase after you, you know, trailing behind your afterburners, and I, I, uh, I cut you down. Do I? Question mark. And it lets, it throws it to the other player to say, yeah, you cut, you do, you cut me down. Um, and I die. <laughs> if that's what they <laughs> want. Or in the case of the Stealing Time Together game, um, you might, you might say, I, you know, I, I reach out to touch your hand. May I? And the other player can say yes or no. And if they say no, they get to decide what happens after that. So you're kind of throwing the ball into their person's court in a lot of ways. And um, building that into the mechanics, it would not be the same otherwise. You know, you could have guidance in the game for, for those things, for consent in both of those games. Um, but having, having, to, having to kind of state the mechanics as you are choosing the prompt is a reminder that kind of goes above and beyond simple guidance in my mind. It also kind of adds a certain feel to the game. Where do you feel, um, kind of coming back to this concept we've thrown around a bit, where do you feel consent and agency intersect Ian and Jacob? Like where, uh, where are those things the same and where are they not the same? I think one of the advantages of mechanizing agency over consent, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to consent, is that um, kind of like Ian was saying, you, it becomes part of the world and it becomes part of this the tone. Consent, mm-hmm. as most consent tools are designed, are, are designed to be fit into any game, which is good and important. Um, and if you build it into your game, you can design it uh, to fit your tone. But agency really addresses the fiction more directly. And what's going on in the story you're all telling together, whereas consent um, 
is say it it can, but it's saying, it, "Are you the player all right with this?" And that can be a different right. question than if your character is all right with something. Yeah, player player agency and character agency can be different things. Right. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really interesting distinction to draw too, because uh, even if like your character is mind controlled or has their alignment switched or something and is acting against the interests of what they would normally want. You could still say that the player has agency if they're still in control of how the story is going. If they're saying, okay, I want to play a bad guy for a little while, that's totally 100% player agency, 0% character agency right there. Yeah, and 100% consent, importantly, too. You know, you can, have, yeah. you can have a scene where you have 100% consent as a player, but zero agency. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, if I had to pick, I would say, Player consent is the most important thing, obviously. But right. um, from there, uh, that's where the overlap of consent and agency is really, you know, is are you... Yeah. If you are have agency, then you can consent, I guess is one way to put it. Yeah, to me, it's, it's, it's really a matter of, you know, where the overlap is, is they're both questions of yes or no, of like being able to say, yes, I, I'm willing to experience this, or no, I, I do not want to experience this. And so in a lot of ways, there is overlap. Um, and some of the design around safety tools and tools to uh, affect agency are the same, but they're f- the difference is like they're kind of fundamentally different questions about right. um, whether you uh, a see, you know, say yes on the consent form on the form to allow something to allow for an experience to play out in front of you, whether you choose to watch that movie mm-hmm. or whether you choose not to is kind of the question of consent versus like, um, <laughs> do I have any say in what happens in this movie as a question of agency and, and uniquely a game question as opposed to right. you know, a film, most yeah. film question. Though I guess now we have uh, Netflix's, uh, choose your own adventure yeah. movies. That is pretty much an so. example of implementing agency in watching a movie. Uh, normally, yeah. when you're watching a horror movie, you don't get to say who dies first, that kind of thing. <laughs> Although Unless... some people think they can, you know, when they yell at the screen, don't go in yes. there. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And if you're one of those people, then agency is what you're looking for in a game. Ian, so. you brought up the mind control question. Um, I have it that maybe we should go into that a little more because it is a very common uh, thing I've seen like talked about and debated and it is kind of topical too as far as like um, mind con- people are trying to take out mind control in their game design recently I've noticed at least as far as a player mechanic um, you know uh, people have found creative ways to include it so that you could include mind control as a concept in their game while not controlling what the player does do you want to elucidate like what the mind control problem is? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it's an interesting uh, mechanical issue, and it's very similar to to dying in a lot of ways. In that, in both cases, your character no longer has any tools to get what they want, so it's zero character agency. Um, and then, worse than that, it's that the GM, or in a PvP game, I suppose it could be another player. Uh, now has all of those tools and they're taking they're taking the actions that you ought to be in control of by telling your character what to do uh and so that that can be very hard especially for players uh, who have a, a very low separation between uh, 
their feeling of player agency and their feeling of character agency, uh, which is is very common, especially for people who are new to role playing, who they think, well, if I can't if I can't get what they want, I can't get what I want, and I can't be happy with that situation at all. Um, right. So for them, my, mind control is going to be uh, a very negative experience. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think there's there's a lot of games who have tried uh, cool things with it. Um, Compels, for example, in Fate are basically mind control, um, but they give players a, a tool and a resource they can spend to say, I don't want uh, my character to be controlled by that right, right now, this time. Um, yeah, and the the way I've seen GMs who are mindful of it do it in like D&D in a game that doesn't necessarily address it strongly is to say this is what you're being told to do. What do you do? And mm-hmm. make it less of a magical force and more of a, a strong suggestion, that kind of thing. And you can word, if you want some kind of magic like that, you can word it that way so that it feels as powerful without removing agency. Putting, putting the question of, like, are you mind-controlled now into the player's hands, I think, is a really powerful one that sure. you get at with the compel situation, right? Right. Um, people have found other ways to, do, to kind of read, add that compel-style mind-control into other games. Um, I know the first place I saw it was in, I think, Dungeon World, uh, mm-hmm. where... Um, and other games where people kind of designed moves for mind-control that gave you incentives to do what the GM wanted you to do, be it like XP or some other kind of reward, um, maybe a narrative reward of some kind. Uh, I know I've actually added that into Moth White, my, my Forge in the Dark game with, with Monster Heart style strings, which are essentially that. Um, the GM, if you have a string on you, uh, if they have a string on you, can, can compel you to do things for XP or as a threat of, of, of added potency on an on an action against you, that kind of a thing, or or the risk of a complication that will affect not just you but your entire team. Um, so there there are other ways to do mind control other than just literally taking control away from a player. <laughs> and I I think that a lot of people are even saying that that's kind of old fashioned now because that does brush on the question of consent as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. Right. There's uh, we're. Sp- starting to come up close. So there are two other things I wanted to talk about quick. Another thing that Blaze does is certainly not unique in doing this, but that I really like and is very popular is their special abilities that just say you can do X, narrative permissions. Um, Those are another way you you can pick that and say I will... It's similar to the uh, Burning Wheel instincts. I always do this. I can always uh, tell where ghosts are. So you are never surprised by a ghost. That kind of thing. Um, and there are other games that do yeah. that, um, or similar kind of you always blank. To some extent, Microscope does this as well. You are not supposed to interrupt someone else when they're describing a scene. So, or say that's not what happens or anything like that. You just have to work around it in your own turn. Uh, as if that were a you know move or something, when it is your turn, you always say what happens. That kind of thing. Um, yeah, PBTA games and their offshoots are all pretty good at this. They all tend mm-hmm. to have uh, choices the players can take as advancements or in character creation that basically give you, as a player, control over part of the game that you wouldn't have otherwise. 
Thank you. Um, so that could mean you can breathe fire, and I can't tell you that you can't breathe fire because you have this move that says, I breathe fire. Um, exactly. Or it, or it could be something as big as whenever a question of archaeology comes up in this game, you, are, you the archaeologist, can say can give the answer and not the GM. You get to decide what the history is for this object or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Narrative permissions are a really powerful uh, way as a designer, you can like give someone agency and have it feel good. Like that's, it, it, feels, it feels good to be given something as opposed to just have it be like the default sometimes. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, and that also kind of transitions Ian, into, oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, no, you go ahead. Things. Yeah. Um, we only have five minutes, so. Yeah. Uh, I was hoping to have some time to talk about a mechanic or two that uh, currently does not have agency built into it that we could add agency on. And the one that mm-hmm. I thought of beforehand that I've mentioned a couple times, especially in, say, D&D, when you run out of hit points, you die. And you're working as hard as you can to keep all your hit points. Um, the there is a mechanic in D and D where you narr- have that narrative permission that says when you reach zero hit points, this is I think a half work ability. Uh, when you reach zero hit points uh, and would be dying, you suddenly have one hit point, and it's a limited thing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with any of these agencies uh, adding mechanics being limited. It doesn't all have to be all the time. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. have this, if you don't want to die, you pick the half work, even though that governs other decisions and has its own problems and Great. everything, <laughs> then uh, you know you are not going to die the first time you get on, then you've got a chance to change the narrative. The other example being I'm in a Pathfinder 2nd edition game, uh, you get hero points, which are like the D&D um, uh, inspiration. Benny's, kind of. Yeah, Benny's. Yeah. So, uh, if you have any when you're at zero hit points, you can spend them to not die. And that's just a way to take this very direct agency removing mechanic, give you a little bit more agency, even if it's limited, to help set the tone and keep you involved. Yeah, and I think you can even do it in an unlimited fashion. I know that uh, in Death Wish, one of the special abilities that I give out is just um, it's for a a, a particular kind of, of character called a demon, and what they can do is when they die, they respawn. They come back to life at the, the, the real heart of their power, sort of a phylactery sort of deal, and so if, if a character doesn't, if a, a player doesn't want to engage with the idea of their character dying, they can just take that uh, character building option and never have to die. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not, um, it, it doesn't even have to be limited if you don't want it to be. I think uh, it's interesting to think about agency as a strategic choice you make in a game. But really, what are power gamers if not people <laughs> just, like searching for the most agency possible in, in the game that they're playing? I think that that's something, uh, maybe a good message to go out on about like designing for agency is letting players uh, choose what does and what can and what cannot happen to them in the game. And that changes the stories that you tell, mm-hmm. right? That changes the this narrative, either a personal narrative, if it's an individual like piecemeal decision that players make, or the larger narrative if it's a part of your game design as a whole. Yeah, definitely. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I think there are games that benefit more and less from it, but I don't think there are any games that uh, should shun agency mechanics no. or anything like that. I think they're valuable in every game. No, I think that um, if there's no player agency at all, you're playing a like maybe that is the distinction. We found the holy grail. We found the <laughs> distinction between a board game. Like a pure board game and an RPG, and there might be things that marry those two, right? But like mm-hmm. maybe maybe that is the distinction between like a pure yeah, strategy sure. game, sure, like chess as, as, or something. As long as you as long RPG. as you ignore the player option to flip the board, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. It's very true. <laughs> All right. Should we... uh, well, yeah, we should we should uh, tone down uh, and get ready to go. Thank you for. I, do we give shout-outs? Can we give plugs and stuff here in this last moment? Is that what we want to do? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, so, go ahead, Jacob. Oh, sorry. So my name is Jacob. Um, I am making Asphalt in Trouble. My Twitter account is uh, at Jacob Also. You can find me there. I also have an itch page, Jacob Also, uh, itch.io. Uh, Asphalt mm-hmm. in Trouble, URL, Bikers in a Climate Apocalypse, very high stakes, very high action, uh, evil corporations trying to bear down on you. I'm Justin Ford, uh, and I am at, at Mothlands on Twitter, and moth-lands.itch.io is my store page where you can find all my games, including my Forge in the Dark game, Mothlight, which is a uh, post-fall fantasy adventure, Forge in the Dark. Ian? Uh, and, <laughs> sorry. Uh, oh, yeah, so I'm, I'm Ian, and... Uh, I made Deathwish, uh, which you can find uh, on my Twitter at uh, Antifinity. Um, it's still in beta, but we've had lots of successful playtests. So if you want to give that a try, uh, please do. Um, and then we're all uh, from Hacked in the Dark, uh, which you should definitely check out. Um, I know we've got a great YouTube channel that's got all of our our shows and podcasts. Uh, where else can uh, they find Hacked in the so our pod, we have uh, live or live streamed actual plays and also non-actual play podcasts where we talk about mechanics just like this. Uh, and we dive into a mechanic and also a game that is being developed and often a game that is actively being kickstarted. So uh, follow us there. We're available on anywhere you can find a podcast if you search for Hacked in the Dark. Our Twitter account is also at Hacked in the Dark. Thank you. Good discussion, y'all. I'll see you later. Definitely. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Thank you for watching.